We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. You are listening to the Timeline broadcast with Mike and Sam, the best in podcast business. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike Vihel. I'm really excited to be here today. My co-host is with me, Sam Cooper. How are you doing? I'm going to be honest. I've been better. <laughs> Why is that? We we just spent... Well, first of all, I probably don't sound quite like I normally do. We just spent 40 minutes with some technical difficulties. My mic broke. <laughs> Uh, so unfortunately, because I'm an idiot and don't have a backup, you people are going to have to spend the rest of the episode with me sounding like I'm coming from the back of a cave. And I apologize for that, <laughs> uh, but we'll get that fixed by next episode. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You sound fine. It's not as bad. Uh, I'll be honest. It's not as bad as I anticipated it being when uh, when your mic broke. So we'll get that figured out for sure, though. Um, a little more housekeeping, a little more about us. I know that's why everyone's tuning in. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what we're doing. Sam and I are recording on Saturday, May 25th right now for a Monday morning episode. So uh, if anything happened between now and Monday, sorry that we didn't talk about it because we didn't know about it. Um, and the reason we're doing that is because tomorrow, which is Sunday the 26th, I am flying uh, out of the country for a few weeks so we won't have any new episodes between now and the time I get back unless something huge happens. If something huge happens, I will find a way to get on the phone with Sam and we'll record some sort of conversation about it. And if I'm unable to do it, Sam, maybe you can have a conversation with somebody else during that time. But if you're wondering why there's no new episodes between now and maybe the second week of June, that's why I will be gone. 
Um, but we still have a lot to talk about this week. So let's get right into it. It has to be a good reason. That's all I'm saying. I am not <laughs> accepting some collect call from a random payphone in Europe for us to record. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, I mean, like, if Robert Sarver sells the Suns, I will... That's important. Yeah, <laughs> I will get on the phone with you. If there's a trade, I think that's a worthy reason uh, to take time out of my vacation to get on the phone and talk about the Phoenix Suns. So uh, that's the, the type of thing we're going to do. If Monty Williams hires an assistant coach, maybe that's not a good enough reason <laughs> to get on the phone and record while I'm on vacation. Let's talk about Robert Sarver. John Shannon. John Shannon is a hockey reporter went on KJZZ Phoenix KJazz which is the uh, affiliate that it's an NPR affiliate for for Arizona and he said that Robert Sarver is quietly looking to sell the Phoenix Suns and the way that he prefaced it was people with money are getting together to make potential bids to buy the Phoenix Suns which is usually uh, it usually only happens if things are kind of a little further along the line than this report kind of made it sound like at first. Um, and it was a little interesting. Obviously, it was refuted immediately, but kind of interesting on our end. Lots of Suns fans got their hopes up, carefully got their hopes up about Robert Sarver selling the Suns. What was your thought on this report, Sam? Well, I don't follow the NHL really in too much depth, but supposedly John Shannon has a good reputation. Uh, I was expecting this story actually to pick up more steam than it did. Um, I, I guess it's because Gambo and Dwayne Rankin went out and refuted it later that day. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that tells us much about the actual situation. Supposedly, Gambo's source is Sarver himself. And if Sarver doesn't want the information to be public, then of course he would refute the story. Uh, so I don't know. I guess it didn't pick up a lot of steam because it just came from such an unlikely source. But there really may be something here to dissect. Yeah, I think the question that a lot of people had was, why would he want to sell right now? Why would Robert Sarver want to sell after making massive investments into the team? And I think that question is easy. Before these investments, this team was the least valuable team in the NBA, most likely. Not a ton of talent, no winning, the oldest arena in the NBA, no practice facility, and just not a lot to build off of. A coach that doesn't really inspire a lot of uh, excitement around the NBA. Not that Igor Kokoshkov is a problem, but he's just, there's nothing to sell there when it comes to Igor Kokoshkov. He's a assistant coach who got a chance to, te- uh, to coach a really bad team. And that's not exactly something that you want to sell to a billionaire. If you have a billionaire that's looking to buy a team and you say, you'll have a newly remodeled arena, you'll have a brand new practice facility, you'll have a respected coach, you'll have a general manager that's been in the league for 15 years, uh, and you'll have talent that you can build off of for years to come because they're young and they're on long contracts. That sounds like a little better of a deal than buying the Suns a few years ago when they won 20 games and had nothing really to build off of in the oldest arena in the NBA. I think it makes a lot of sense to, to put some money into your investment. It's kind of like painting your car before you want to sell it. Or I, I made the analogy online of flipping a house. It's yeah. like you, you, if you sell a house that's an old piece of shit house, 
you're not going to get much for it. But if you take that piece of shit house, you put new floors, you put new countertops, you paint the walls a little bit, all of a sudden the value goes up way more than the money that you put into it. And I think this is the analogy to me of why Robert Sarver would sell now after putting a lot of money into it. Uh, Obviously, I think just to recap what you said, Gambo, John Gambadoro, The Godfather, and Dwayne Rankin, uh, both by the end of the day, which is as we predicted, said that uh, this was not true. I thought it was funny that Gambo, true to his brand, said fake news, <laughs> and Dwayne Rankin said 100% inaccurate, which were uh, reports likely directly from Robert Sarver in his office. Does it matter to you that those people refuted it at all? No, not at all. And like you said, it's not a difficult concept to grasp. Uh, the house renovation analogy is a perfect example. Uh, this would be the perfect time for Robert Sarver to sell. And I think the advantage um, before there was an agreement for arena renovations with the city of Phoenix, the thing I was always a little worried about was even if Robert Sarver does sell, there's a threat of relocation. Uh, but with the new deal, there would be a hefty fine for any owner who tries to acquire the sons and move them out of here uh, until I believe the new lease expires in like the year 2037. Uh, so the sons are going to be in Phoenix for a long time. Now it's just about finding an owner who can actually afford them. And maybe we should put together a list of potential billionaires who could actually rise up to the occasion. Yeah, it's I think it's one hundred and fifty million dollars if they if they are out of the lease early. And this is when you sell a team, this is the type of partnerships that come with it. You can't just cancel that partnership without paying that $150 million fine. So if an owner does come in, hopefully they have ties to Phoenix. They're they're uh, actually associated with the city and want to stay in this city. Um, some people pointed out that maybe it's not the best thing if we have a new owner. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Uh, I talked a little bit about on, online, a little bit about the last few teams that have changed ownership. The Warriors changed ownership recently. The Milwaukee Bucks changed ownership recently. The Sacramento Kings changed ownership recently. These are not bad situations. When teams change ownership, what they're doing is they're getting an owner who is motivated. And when you're motivated, you're likely to invest in the team. Teams that have investments in money, actual monetary investments tend to make the largest improvements over time. We'll talk about this later, but Monty Williams talked about on the Woj pod, he talked about how he has seen how a practice facility and new uh, facilities for players has made such a massive difference in how players play and the effort that they put in. That's an example of an investment. When money is put into a team, then players are going to play better. Dividends will show at some point. So to me, there is no downside to Robert Sarver selling. The idea that an owner can be worse than Robert Sarver is kind of crazy because what could be worse? There's really only one scenario I can think of, and that's James Dolan. It doesn't really get much worse than an owner that is completely uh, wasted a lot of time with this team and taking a team that was one of the best and most respected and and basically made them the laughing stock of the NBA over the last 15 years. So I just really can't picture a scenario where the Suns would be in worse off if Robert Sarver were to sell. Do you agree with that? I somewhat agree with that. I think if you look at other sports, well, first of all, you've got owners like Donald Sterling who was banned from the NBA. I think that's an example of someone who would probably be worse than Robert Sarver. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Uh, you know, Robert Sarver, to my knowledge, is not a criminal. And it's not, you know, <laughs> ra- racist or, or anything like that. And then if you look at other sports, I think there have been examples of, of other owners who have just been so 
uh, despicable in the way they've handled their team. Jeffrey Loria is a name that stands out to me for any baseball fans out there with the way that he ran uh, the Montreal Expos and then moved them to Florida, became the Florida Marlins and then the Miami Marlins uh, just consist. I mean, here's the thing. The NBA doesn't have a salary floor, so there's no opportunity for a guy like Robert Sarver to just keep the Suns basically in the gutter uh, and and just strip them down to the bare roots every season and then profit from revenue sharing in the way that some teams in the MLB do. Uh, but all that being said, yes, Robert Sarver is still a terrible owner. The, the idea that there would be a worse owner than him coming in, I think, is laughable. And I think you had a really good point on Twitter also just talking about Robert Sarver is a basketball fan. He probably does not like the fact that his legacy that he would leave behind in the NBA is that he turned the Phoenix Suns, the fifth most winningest uh, team in NBA history, into a laughingstock. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that really bothers him. It would bother anyone. Uh, it would bother anyone. I just can't imagine turning on ESPN, listening to sports talk radio, which is things that NBA fans do. This is something that he is an NBA fan, so he definitely does. I can't imagine turning it on every, and every single time that his name is brought up, people laugh at him. People say he's terrible. People say he ruined the culture. People say he took down a once respected franchise. There's never a good word spoken about him on any of these platforms. It's constant berating him, constant bad-mouthing him. I can't imagine wanting to do that for a long time. Can you take that for 20 years? Do you want to do that for 15 more years? Is $1.5 billion, which is likely what he could get, worth more than getting that kind of hate? I would think that it would be, and I don't know. He's not a majority, I mean, he's a majority owner, but he's not the full owner, too. There is an ownership group, but all he would have to do is sell his stake for there to be a new controlling ownership uh, person in, in charge. And, you know, to that to that point you made about talking about people that could potentially do it, I did bring up the list of the 10 richest people in Arizona. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? I don't know any, you're welcome to bring them up right now. I don't know <laughs> any of those people. Well, there's a couple of interesting names. So the first two are Mark Schoen and Joe Schoen. I don't know if I'm saying their names right, but they own Americo, which is the uh, company that owns U-Haul. So the giant U-Haul company basically for moving. Uh, I don't know anything about them, but they're worth a lot of money. They have more than enough to buy into it. I have no idea if they're sports fans, but if they are, come save us because U-Haul doesn't seem that bad. I don't have any problems with them. The Campbell Soup Air, $2.7 billion. <laughs> Bennett Dorrance. That's some old money. I just imagine Campbell's Soup is at least a 60, 70-year-old brand. I don't really know, but that sounds like old money. Here's where it gets interesting. Bob Parsons, who is the founder of GoDaddy, uh, worth $2.7 billion. Why? What's that? No, that sounds familiar to me for some reason. What is there controversy? I, I really know nothing. Okay, I'll tell you a little bit about Bob Parsons as someone who lives in Arizona. Uh, Bob Parsons founded GoDaddy. GoDaddy is, obviously, everyone knows GoDaddy because of the uh, controversial ads that they had in the past. But GoDaddy is also a company that has, uh, in Arizona, one of the best rated, it's one of the best rated employers in Arizona. It has what's considered some of the best culture for employees of any company uh, and one of the best places to work. That doesn't sound very familiar to Suns fans, but some companies can have good culture. It's possible. And GoDaddy does have that. But Bob Parsons is actually, he slowly got pushed out of that company because of the controversy that surrounded him. 
Some of it was the controversial ads that he was, uh, you know, the person that had the final approval on. And some of it was that he likes to go hunting for big game animals. <laughs> and he takes, he's the type of billionaire that takes those kinds of trips to Africa and comes home with, um, uh, animals that you would not normally hunt for, animals that only billionaires can hunt for. And that kind of con- controversy caught up to him over time, and uh, he was pushed out of his own company. Of course, he still makes a lot of money, but he doesn't really control anything anymore. So he's still worth $2.7 billion. That, to me, sounds like the type of guy that would be interested in buying a sports team, I'll be honest. And uh, it's kind of interesting, the controversy around him and the fact that he created a company that has good culture. Those two things don't normally uh, converge in any way, but for some reason it did with Bob Parsons. I know people personally that work for GoDaddy. They seem to enjoy it. Just a kind of interesting one. But the next one, Arturo Moreno is the owner of the Los Angeles Angels. He's worth $2.5 billion, and he lives in Arizona. That's kind of an interesting one, too. I'm not sure if he would be interested in purchasing an NBA team. He's got the money for it. And I'm not sure how Los Angeles Angels fans feel about their owner, but there's another example there. Do you know anything about baseball, Sam? Uh, Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't heard any bad things. Well, there's another one. So... Uh, any of you guys, please come save us. <laughs> please come save us from Robert Sarver. Um, and, you know, a lot of people feel like it's kind of a weird time to even bring this up because Robert Sarver is finally making investments into the team. But the fact that he never did in the past almost lends more credence to this report than anything else. All of a sudden, he's investing in the team and nobody's questioning well, why. I, and I can't. I can't believe it took me this long to even bring this up, but to turn this around on you real quick, last episode we were talking about, you were the one bringing up the point, <laughs> has Robert Sarver turned the corner, and then this report comes No, out. whoa, 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 whoa. That is not what I said. That's, I said, has Robert Sarver's reputation actually gotten slightly better? Okay. And that's enough. only saying that he's he's dug himself out of a deep, deep hole, right. and now he's, on, he's in just a regular deep hole. And, <laughs> and my point was... <laughs> my point was in that episode because I don't think that he has turned a corner as an owner. There's no reason to believe that until we've seen at least a single season where he doesn't constantly interfere and ruin the culture of this team. He needs at least that, and then maybe we can say that's something to build off of. Even that's not turning the corner. But I do think that what I did not know about Robert Sarver before is that people in his orbit seem to like him. And it just, I would have assumed in the past because of the way he runs his business that nobody liked him. So that part of the story was something that was surprising to me. So, and I think, but to that point, I think the reaction of some Suns fans kind of proves that point that I was making. Because what I wanted to say is it seemed like other people were starting to accept that maybe he's not as bad as we thought he was. And I'm not sure if I believe that. I'll say that I don't uh, until we see something that proves it. But I do think that the reaction of fans uh, that are saying, "Is this? are we sure this is a good thing that he wants to sell? You know, obviously it's just a rumor. Uh, kind of proves that they're more willing to believe that maybe he is making more appropriate decisions for an NBA owner at this point. To be fair, I only saw a couple of people say that. And the types of people who said that, I think, are afraid of relocation. Like, I think the entire public isn't educated on the fact that owners can't just come in and move the sons, uh, that it would be very right. difficult to do that. So I think that's where that fear comes from. I don't think anyone is calling Robert Sarver a saint. Yeah, I agree with that. And and actually, to that point as well, um, NBA teams don't go on sale very often. 
it, it doesn't have to come from an owner that lives in Arizona. It would be nice to have someone that has ties to Arizona, but Robert Sarver had ties to Arizona, so that's not a guaranteed good thing. Uh, it could be anywhere. When an NBA team comes on sale, like like the the Nets, for example, I was going to call them the New Jersey Nets. They were the New Jersey Nets at the time when they went on sale. They were purchased by a billionaire from Russia. He has no ties to New Jersey or Brooklyn, where they moved the team. But these teams just don't come on sale very often. And if it did, it, this type of ownership could come from anywhere. There's no there's no way to assume that it could come from Arizona. So. We will see if there's any news about this coming up. Do you have any other thoughts on it? No, that's about it. Let's move on. A lot of stuff happened this week. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting story if it develops at all or maybe it just quietly disappears and it, it was never true. I think uh, even if it is true, there will be rumblings. I think that it's hard to hide when billionaires are putting billions of dollars together to purchase a team. So if something is happening, we'll probably find out over the next probably few years. I'm, I'm not going to say few months. It probably takes a while for a deal like this to close. So nothing soon, I'm sure. We're going to introduce a new segment now. Sam, I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm very excited. <laughs> Always trying to think of new ideas. All right. This segment is called Cold Take of the Week. All right, this is cold take of the week. The idea around this segment is somebody online said something Sam and I didn't like, and we're going to call them out for it. Sam, I'm going to let you go first. Okay, starting off is, uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Is it Brian Oringer, or is it Oringer? I'm going to say Oringer. Oringer. Uh, This is a guy Mm -hmm. who, those of you on NBA Twitter, uh, may have acquainted yourself with over the past few years his calling card is that he worked as a video coordinator in the nba for seven years for three different teams uh and has a bit of a reputation for well being prickly and this is not sons related except well, for- his brand is asshole that's his yes. brand <laughs> i was i was trying to be nice because here's the thing about this guy i followed him on twitter for a while i think he does some good work uh in educating the nba twitter community but yeah, he's a dick. And the only reason we talk about him this week is because he got in a really funny exchange yesterday with Eddie Johnson. <laughs> Where Eddie Johnson, essentially this uh, started because Eddie and Brian were arguing over, Eddie made the point that the Raptors were uh, killing the Bucks on defense with what he called a matchup zone defense, to which the following exchange happened. Brian responds, the Raptors are literally not playing any zone. Come on, Eddie. You want to tout your, I played, I get it, great. But then don't say stupid things like this that just aren't true. Maybe a little bit aggressive uh, coming out of the yeah, game. Yeah, a little. Just a little. Now, to be fair, Eddie does not pull back any punches of his own. He responds, okay, what are they playing, robot? And this is what I really like. He just goes <laughs> right after him and, and <laughs> refers to him as robot. You tell me what it is when a player is inside the key and the other four are hugging the lane every time Giannis has ball at the top. What is that called, robot? They go back and forth on this exchange for a little while. This guy whose whose name is literally Zach Binkley, PhD, which you got to roll your eyes a little bit when you throw <laughs> the PhD in your Twitter name. Uh, he said, Brian, I can get you in touch with people who play the one two two matchup half court if you need to see that. Brian responds, <laughs> I can get you in touch with people who work in the NBA and can tell you definitively that the Raptors haven't played zone defense this round. Obnoxious PhD boy. 
Eddie, oh, no one respects you at this level or you would have a job. Brian, <laughs> <laughs> Brian hits him back. Your own radio partner doesn't like you. I heard from an NBA front office person that you're the loudest, most obnoxious person in the media room in Phoenix. And I got offered a job by an NBA playoff team before the season that uh, I declined. But thanks, yeah, sure. legend. Just, <laughs> you know, everyone is kind of wrong in this scenario. Like Eddie is maybe a little bit needlessly aggressive here too but this guy's just such an asshole like i i feel like we just needed to point out there's a lot of clout chasers on nba twitter and i yeah. guess the overall point here is that i would caution anyone for just mindlessly following people who ju just know what people's intentions are yeah like a guy like this i think he does some good work i think he does some good work with his uh video breakdowns i've learned uh, some interesting sets from him, especially like, you know, he'll put together plays that are coming out of timeouts that are great for learning the game and the X's and O's a little bit more. Uh, but there's just no reason to be a dick, you know, like maybe your lack of people skills is the reason that you bounced around three different teams in seven years and currently don't have a job in the, in the yes. association. anymore. Yes. Yes. Cause what I was going to say about that is there's, there's one major job skill that people always forget about and it's being likable. If you're not likable, you're not going to keep a job for very long, no matter how good you are at it. And I have a feeling that's related to why he doesn't work in the NBA anymore, but who knows? I'm sure if he hears us, he's going to call us out individually, Sam. I but can't the other wait. Part is, <laughs> the other part is, does he not understand what EJ meant? Because what EJ means is when Giannis is driving into the lane, players guard space. They they tend to they create the wall. They box him in. They it takes more than one guy to guard Giannis. And that's what he was referring to. And all he did was latch on to the words that he used instead of communication is about representing an idea. It's not exactly about words. And what he did is he created a semantics argument to punch up. You never punch down, right? EJ is punching down a little bit on this, and I loved it personally because people deserve this, but he's punching up, right? He's, he's attacking a guy with more followers him, than him. He's attacking a guy that's more respected than him. You can do that when you're smaller, even though it makes you look like an asshole, but it draws more attention to you because you're punching up. And it's just, to me, it's just a guy that's purposely being a dick just to be a dick. And it's really unfortunate that it had to be EJ that was at the receiving end of that. Um, and the last thing I want to say about that is, do you know how you know you're talking to a doctor? How? They tell yeah. you. They tell you right away. <laughs> so no surprise that the PhD had his PhD in his handle there. Um, but yeah, it's just what, any other thoughts on Oranger? <laughs> no, he, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve that airtime. Yeah. I think we should all agree to collectively ignore him because even if he's right, who wants to follow a guy that treats people like that? Like it, the other part is it's okay to d disagree with people. It's, it's fine to disagree with people, but there's a way to respectfully disagree with people that takes no effort at all. That's the funniest part to me. It takes way more effort to be a dick than it does to just disagree and say, I respectfully disagree. What I saw was this. And, uh, and if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And when you do it respectfully, what matters is your opinion, whether you're right or whether you're wrong. When you do it completely disrespectfully, when you're trying to EJ is a longtime NBA player, and then after he retired from the NBA, he's basically worked in and around the NBA for every minute since. 
And the idea that you're going to discount all of that to prove your point, it almost doesn't matter what your point is at that point. So it, it's just, this is a, a, a internet culture, kind of. There's, a, there's always assholes on every social media platform, and this guy is one of the basketball assholes that exists. And it's just unfortunate that anyone even had to notice this. But um, shout out to the Suns fans that sort of rallied around EJ there. I thought it was kind of fun to see that guy take some punches, even though he punched back every single time. All right, my cold take of the week goes to the one and only Bill Simmons. Too easy. Bill Simmons. Yes, too easy. Bill Simmons is aging right before our eyes. He's becoming the old guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. In a conversation about the all-NBA teams, Bill Simmons starts off talking about how he voted for Donovan Mitchell For third-team All-NBA, Donovan Mitchell. Yes, Donovan Mitchell. By the end of this podcast, he was already saying he was wrong, thanks to, (laughs) of course, Kevin (laughs) O'Connor. Because how insane is it that Donovan Mitchell was on his team? Donovan Mitchell did not make the team, of course, because that's an insane pick. But in the midst of that conversation, that wasn't even my cold take, he decided to bring up Devin Booker, something that he has done, for those of you who listen to the Bill Simmons podcast, something that he has done just about every week for the last three or four weeks for some reason. And I know what it is. He's using it as an as a way to attack Kevin O'Connor because he said, people really thought Devin Booker had a great year last year, including people in this room, which Kevin O'Connor was right next to him. And he says that the the reason he doesn't think Devin Booker had a good season was because the Suns did not win. Because the Suns were terrible. And the idea that a man like Bill Simmons cannot comprehend any idea of a good player existing on a bad team. A man who was a fan of, by the way, the Boston Celtics, who had Paul Pierce on a terrible team for a long time, cannot understand the idea of Devin Booker being on a bad team is laughable. The idea that he used his all-NBA teams to only vote players in who made the playoffs is laughable. The idea that Donovan Mitchell deserved it more than Bradley Beal is laughable. <laughs> and then the way he justified saying that Devin Booker had a terrible year is because they're terrible. And he said, why are they terrible? They had seven lottery picks in the last five years. Seven lottery picks in the last five years. As if that's a guarantee that your team is going to be good. Look at the players that were picked, Bill Simmons. They're terrible. There was one good player, maybe two, in all of those picks. And the idea that Devin Booker by himself could raise the value of that team high enough to make the playoffs, and that's the only way that he can be a good player, is insane. And the part I think that bothers me the most about takes like this is that when Devin Booker does make the playoffs, he can say, well, Devin Booker's good now. He's good now. Because he made the playoffs. He will not acknowledge that he was wrong the entire time. And Devin Booker has been good and consistently got better every single season. All he can say is, my opinion has changed because now he made the playoffs. Therefore, he is now good. So, Bill Simmons, you're my cold take of the week and you absolutely deserve it. What do you think, Sam? How far the mighty have fallen. He's just a casual now. It's unfortunate. Bill Simmons now is like the guy you meet at a bar who tells you that he prefers to watch college basketball because they actually play defense and (laughs) 
Except he doesn't watch college basketball. That's a funny part. Except he doesn't watch college basketball, but he's like that guy that it's just like, oh, cool. Like I can, you know, talk. I get excited when I can talk to someone about sports and then like a minute in, you realize that they're a lost cause. Bill Simmons at this point, to, to have Donovan Mitchell on your third team, all NBA is you're a lost cause. I just think he doesn't watch the league as much anymore. I mean, he watches, he watches the Celtics. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and he has better opinions on teams from the East, in my opinion as well, because he understands the East a little better because the Celtics play those teams more often. But even then, like, I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, he was really low on some Eastern team. I think he was really low on Indiana this year, and they just totally proved him wrong too. And obviously everyone makes wrong predictions, but I don't know. He's yeah. just getting more and more off base every year. Yeah, he also spent the whole first part of the season making fun of the idea that Kenny Atkinson was a great hire for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, a coach who did an excellent job the entire year. And of course, that take slowly disappeared from his airwaves because uh, he was proven wrong. Uh, it's just, you're exactly right. He's become an old man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's boiling his takes down to something so simple and so trivial that it proves that he's not fully paying attention to the entire league. And it's unfortunate, but shout out to both uh, Kevin O'Connor and Jonathan Sharks, who was the other guy that was on that podcast, for both standing up for Devin Booker and saying, Devin Booker had an excellent offensive season. Jonathan Sharks said, Devin Booker improved mightily as a playmaker with terrible teammates, which I think is something that that people don't even understand how difficult that can be. The, the the idea of potential assists matter, and he had a lot of those. Yeah, and Sharks is a guy who I think has come around on the Suns a little bit more. He hasn't always been... And, and here's the thing. You don't have to be high on the Suns to be high on Devin Booker. That's the critical point. Bill right. Simmons says, how are you bad with this many lottery picks in five years? Because the Phoenix Suns have been a dysfunctional organization with yes. a terrible track record of development, and we can admit that. But it's when you try to put the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of Devin Booker, that just doesn't work. Devin Booker has had five NBA coaches at this point, and he's improved every single year. He is defying odds as an NBA player every year of his career. He is succeeding in an environment that creates failure the idea that you can put the failure of this team on his shoulders even though he is defying odds is completely laughably insane and it's just unfortunate that one of the most popular voices in sports media is a guy who cannot grasp this simple topic because he refuses to take the time or maybe he doesn't have it in his defense um, and then just drop these kind of takes if you don't have the time to invest to actually know what you're talking about at this point well, you know what we have to do? What? We have to stage a revolution. <laughs> it's the only way. Suns fans stage a coup and make Kevin O'Connor have the most popular NBA podcast in America. He needs his own. That's the only way. Well, I mean, he's he does the ringer, but, you know, it's like not consistent. Yeah, he's on like every Tuesday or something with uh, Verno, which is a good podcast, too. It's kind of fun, but uh, it's just not. I would like him to have his own over time. Come on our podcast, Kevin, please. <laughs> we want him on. We've actually had a conversation with him about coming on. It's a little more difficult than we anticipated, and it doesn't sound like it's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, but shout out to Kevin. That was great of him to to step up and point out what should be obvious to anyone who pays attention. And I, like I said in the past, I don't blame people for not paying attention to the Suns. But those who do understand that Devin Booker is that guy. He just is. Um, let's move on from that. Hope you guys liked the cold take of the week segment. 
the cheese is cold. We got a rumor, Sam. Not really. About Bradley Beal. It's it's not even really a rumor at this point because no one's saying that Washington is really interested in trading him. It's just so much money being tied up in John Wall and Bradley Beal combined. Maybe you just have to. You talked about the Brad Beal situation on the Blue Wire Buckets Ooh. podcast episode. Nice plug. <laughs> I plugged, yeah. It was a natural <laughs> plug. Um, talk, talk a little bit about what happened with Bradley Beal and the All-NBA teams. So this has been a story that's going around the NBA, not just with Bradley Beal, but with Kemba Walker and Clay Thompson as well. Uh, and the deal is that one of the incentives to potentially be eligible for what is being called a Supermax contract is uh, to make an all-NBA third team or above. And so, for instance, what that means is that you would be eligible after your second contract. So you have your first rookie contract, then you have your second contract where you're a restricted free agent and you sign an extension with whatever team. And then when you become an unrestricted free agent following that second contract where you are, at that point, a nine-year veteran in the NBA, a normal max contract entitles you to a max salary that is worth 30% of whatever the salary cap is that season. A supermax contract is 35%. And with the salary cap as high as it is now, in a couple of years when Brad Beal hits free agency, it's estimated to be about $120 million. That becomes a very, very big difference. Brad Beal missed out on the All-NBA third team, so he is not entitled to a supermax extension, at least not yet, unless he gets the uh, honor next year, Uh, which means him signing a contract extension for 30% of the salary cap would give him a starting salary of about $36 million versus a Supermax contract where he would have a starting salary of about $42 million. That makes a big difference. Whereas a guy like Kemba Walker made the All-NBA third team, he is going to be paid enormous amounts of money now probably by the Charlotte Hornets, whether he deserves it or not. But so with Brad Beal, this is actually a good thing for the Wizards because they save a little bit by him not being entitled to that Supermax contract yet. It's still going to be a situation where they're going to have about $80 million tied up in just John Wall and Brad Beal two seasons from now, and that might just be too much for them to stomach. They might just have to blow it up. John Wall has pretty much no trade value, so obviously Brad Beal is one of the, I would say, probably one of the best trade assets in the NBA if he hits the market. So that's just a natural place for them to start. Uh, So two questions on that, and I'll give my opinions as well, of course, but... Does Bradley Beal make sense on the Suns? Yes. He is an excellent player. Yeah, I agree, but we can talk about why. And two, do the Suns have the assets to make that kind of trade? Yeah, I, he definitely makes sense. There's yeah, there's a few tiers of uh, players when it comes to trading for superstars in the NBA. You have the top tier, which are players that are untouchable basically no matter what. Like It is inconceivable to me that a guy like LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry would actually be traded. A couple tiers below that absolute top tier, you have a different tier of superstars. These are all the guys that are kind of damaged goods that keep showing up on the uh, rumor market that Suns fans keep saying no to, uh, whether it be for their age or their contract or their injury history. It's guys like Russell Westbrook, uh, Blake Griffin, Uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other examples. Um, Mike Conley is even a tier below them, but he's like an example of that sort of thing too. But in between those two tiers, you have a sweet spot. And it's a very, very small sweet spot of guys where they're not completely untouchable. It's at least somewhat conceivable that they would hit the market. And they're perfect in terms of play style, 
in terms of age, fitting the timeline. Brad Beal is a guy who's only about to turn 26. He's still really young uh, and could definitely grow with both Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and probably still has his peak ahead of him. And that tier of players, it's it's not many guys. Like it's Brad Beal. There's no one else who's even on the trade market right now who's in that same tier. But I would say like if Portland ever decided to blow it up, a guy like Damian Lillard would be in that same sort of tier, but he's not on the trade market right now. So Brad Beal is just the perfect type of player where if he hits the market, it's not just Phoenix that's going to be going for him. It's like 20, 25 other teams, uh, which makes your second question of do they actually have the assets? That's really, really tough. Um, yeah. I think you, you don't want to give up DeAndre Ayton, obviously. But the problem right. is if you can't give up DeAndre Ayton, your best assets are the sixth pick, whatever other future picks you have, and Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. And compared to the rest of the league, that's probably – it's probably not enough to get a guy like Brad Beal. But I definitely think, because I, I think I maybe didn't address the first question uh, strongly enough, he's definitely fits with Devin Booker uh, in the backcourt. I know some people have concerns about Devin Booker playing point guard, but I think as long as you give him a combo guard who can also uh, be a play initiator and bring the ball up the court, and Brad Beal can definitely do that, I don't think it would be an issue at all. That would be an insane backcourt because... Those are two guys that can do it all. They have three levels of scoring at the rim, mid-range, and from three-point. They're also both playmakers that have developed into excellent playmakers over time. Bradley Beal had maybe his best season as a playmaker. Yes, I agree that they're an excellent fit. I think that um, they can both handle the playmaking duties together. And if you start to increase... Uh, DeAndre Ayton's playmaking duties, assuming that's the way the team would be constructed, then it's not really that big of a problem because you can run some of that playmaking through uh, DeAndre Ayton either at the high post or as low as possible. And that that team makes a lot of sense. They're they're big. They can guard as far as uh, smaller guys. Of course, defense would still be a problem, especially without Mikhail <laughs> Bridges in this scenario because Devin Booker would be guarding point guards a lot of times, and that would still be difficult. But I think offensively, it's just insane. These are guys that can... They can do it all, and, and and you just pick your poison, especially if you keep DeAndre Ayton. And I agree with you. I think that the assets are hard to come by. The Suns would have to blow them away with picks, and I think that means the sixth pick this year, our pick next year, and uh, the Milwaukee pick, probably TJ Warren, probably Mikhail Bridges, and then what else? Just like you said, what else is there? There's there's really not a lot to offer. And when yeah. it, you compare that, you brought up the idea of the Lakers potentially making an offer for them. And this is this is kind of an interesting scenario where the Lakers have some interesting players they could do. Maybe Lonzo Ball, if the if the Wizards are interested in Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram, we, we've weirdly kind of lucked out that Brandon Ingram has an odd injury history at this point, and there's no guarantee that he's going to be an excellent player for years and years to come. Uh, as whereas Mikhail Bridges is just absolutely, as far as we can tell, definitely going to be solid and likely going to be a contributing starter for a long time when he develops. Um, it's just there's what other teams do you think would be interested? I think basically the entire NBA at this point probably would be interested. It's, yeah, it's basically the entire NBA. The reason I brought up the Lakers is just because uh, that's. I mean, it's the Lakers, so they're always being discussed. He's a great fit, too. Yeah, they're always being discussed. He's a great fit next to LeBron. And just so people know what we're talking about, like, I think it maybe it hasn't even caught up to the national conversation just how good Beal was in the absence of John Wall this season. He averaged 25.6 points, five rebounds, five and a half assists, and one and a half steals on 58% true shooting for basically Devin Booker numbers for a team that was a lot better than Devin Booker's sons. 
you're building around what's essentially in two years time at least going to be a supercharged backcourt version of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And you might say, well, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they just got swept by the Warriors. The difference there is DeAndre Ayton being the X factor. How much better can DeAndre Ayton become than uh, obviously Portland didn't have use, uh, use of Nurkic in the playoffs this year, but it's just DeAndre Ayton is sort of unlocking the rest of the ceiling for that team and really determining how far they can go. But just having Booker and Beal alone gives you a great floor. Yeah, I think it w- we'll have to follow this story, obviously, because there's no no way of knowing if this is something that's going to, if they do trade him, if it's going to happen soon or if they're going to let the season start. Really, the, if the Suns' best chance for this is if they do wait until the middle of the season and someone like Mikhail Bridges really shows out at the beginning of the season and they can use him as an asset. Of course, nobody wants to lose Mikhail Bridges, but a guy like Bradley Beal, we talked about it in the past, this is what you would trade for if you have a trade. Mikhail Bridges is the type of guy you would move. We talked about the idea of Robert Covington going to Minnesota to get Jimmy Butler. This is exactly the same, in my opinion. It's just we don't have that Dario Saric-level player. Yeah, well, and the problem is, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. This is sort of the last thing I'll say about this. When we look at every example of a superstar player being traded in the past few years, in the return, there's always a player with superstar potential. Like, Victor Oladipo is coming off a down season when he was traded for Paul George, but the Pacers were still willing to bank on that potential. Uh, When Kyrie was traded, Isaiah Thomas was coming off a season that was absolutely phenomenal. Now, obviously, he had just gotten injured. It's always going to be a lesser star coming in return, but he's still a very good player. DeMar DeRozan, clearly a very good player in that trade return for Kawhi. The maybe exception to the rule, actually, is the one that you just mentioned with Robert Covington being the best piece in a Jimmy Butler trade. My worry for the Suns is a trade package revolving around Mikhail Bridges, a number six pick, and other picks and whatever the prospects you want to throw at them or TJ Warren or whoever, it could potentially turn into a bunch of good players. But is there really anyone with potential for superstardom that the Wizards are going to be looking for if they're going to get rid of their currently their franchise cornerstone? You don't believe in Kobe White? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting scenario, and it'll be an interesting case to follow. I feel bad for whoever ends up taking that job. Maybe they already hired a GM in Washington because that's a really difficult thing to take control of. They have a completely untradeable guy who's going to make $45 million in John Wall, and then they have to decide if they want to take up basically the rest of their cap space with Brad Beal and have absolutely no flexibility going forward. And even if they did want to do that... Would Bradley Beal want to do that? It doesn't seem like he's ever been happy there this entire time. He's he's the happiest when John Wall isn't playing, and there's no way they trade John Wall. So he's likely going to want out. And he's for those of you who don't know, he makes $27 million next year and $28 million in 2021. And then he's a completely unrestricted free agent after that. So he owns all of the leverage there. He completely controls his destiny. He completely controls his future. And it's going to be interesting to follow that story as it goes. Um, Let's talk about our new coach. We talked a lot about Monty Williams in the last podcast, but there's been a lot of interesting things that's come out since then. The first thing that happened is Monty appeared on the Woj podcast, the Woj pod with Adrian Wojnarowski. So he talked a lot about uh, the team and his past and where they're at now. What were your thoughts on that podcast, Sam? I thought it was really good. Um, the only thing that was maybe a tiny bit disappointing to me, but then I was kind of reflecting on it and it made sense. Woj didn't really ask him any questions about what he planned to do with the Suns. 
Yeah, basketball. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, he didn't, uh, didn't talk about Devin it. Booker multiple times, but he didn't talk about anyone else. He didn't even talk about DeAndre Ayton at all. Like I was expecting a point blank question about DeAndre Ayton versus Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis comparisons or something. We didn't even get that. Uh, but in terms of figuring out even more about the type of man that Monty is uh, that we're getting, I think it was a really good interview for that. There were some really insightful replies. Yeah, Woj was focusing on a lot of uh, the beginning of the podcast is why he chose the son, the sons, the uh, importance of ownership. He talked about how important that was. He was really pushing him on what's wrong with you? Why did you choose a team with Robert Sarver at the helm? And and uh, Monty was kind of on the defensive a little bit um, there. And one of the questions he asked is, you talked to Robert Sarver about his not interfering, but what happens six months from now, seven months from now, in the middle of the season when the Suns have lost maybe more games than Robert Sarver wants to and they're in the midst of another developing season? What do you expect? Do you give specific expectations about what you want Robert Sarver to do in that scenario. And I thought Monty's answer was really good. He said, you have to be clear about your vision. He said he laid out what he felt is the best way to lead these guys to another level. And he said, Robert agreed with, I'm sorry, Mr. Sarver agreed with that. (laughs) (laughs) He did call him Mr. Sarver. Did you notice he called him Mr. Sarver? That was the first thing I noticed because we just (laughs) talked about it. Yeah. And he said, and that's all he can go off of because he's, he's putting trust in him. Uh, he said, we're building trust right now. I really like this saying. He said, all you can do in any relationship is build equity. And at some point, I'm going to have to pull from that equity. I thought that was interesting because basically what he's saying is, Robert told me this. And if later he goes back on it, I'm going to call him out. I'm going to pull from that equity. We built that trust. We built that equity. And I plan on spending that if I have to. Managing up, as they call it. Managing your manager. Uh, and And we'll see if he's capable of doing that. He's a big personality. He's kind of intimidating a little bit and uh, I imagine it would be kind of hard for Robert Sarver to tell him what to do after giving him a five-year contract what else did you find interesting Sam well okay first of all this came towards the end I there's no real need to keep bringing up the personal tragedy that Monty went through but um, just extending beyond basketball a little bit I think it was interesting how he just sort of broke down the notion that you know people have looked up to him for inspiration and have maybe built up this idea of him in their heads where he has been this rock uh, and just extremely strong in, in dealing with that grieving process. And I think it was really interesting how he just addressed that and said, no, uh, he's not ashamed to tell people that he was broken. He had to go through grief counseling uh, and it has not been an easy part of him and that a part of him will always be broken is what he said. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting to hear and uh, very important. We continue to forget that these are real people with real lives Uh, whether it be players or coaches or general managers, any of them, whose careers are constantly in flux, who constantly have to relocate. Monty is currently relocating to Phoenix, but he has kids who have to move over from that Philly area uh, as well. And so that's just always something to keep in mind, uh, regardless of the salaries that they're paid. Uh, The other thing that I thought was interesting is they went on this sort of, uh, not a tirade, it was just like a tangent for a couple minutes where Monty was talking about, he doesn't like when people in this business use the word family. Uh, And I don't know if he was sort of intending to call out Earl Watson there uh, as someone (laughs) he had specifically heard, you know, using that as Suns fans, we heard Earl Watson talk nonstop about family for an entire year Um, or if he was just addressing it generally. Uh, But, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting contrast. Monty's trying to build the culture here, but it's not a family. Uh, It's not. This is not to be confused with Earl Watson's regime 
there's mm-hmm. no uh, yoga circles and and love for each other. And I, I think maybe just some of that preachiness will go away. I loved what Woj said about there is no better kind of conditional love than playing yes. on an NBA team. Yes. I thought that was an excellent point because you are the last thing that you did, basically. Um, you know, what have you done for me lately is every sport. It's not just the NBA. It's what have you done? And what you've done is your value and your value varies depending on if they're talking about on the trade market, on the team or in free agency. So it is completely conditional love. It's not anything like what a family is. You can choose who's on the team. You can cut guys from your team. You can't cut your family members, uh, you know, and maybe with a knife, but (laughs) that's the only way that you can do it. And I just think it's interesting that he made a point to say it's not like a family. And I like that too because it's work. This is your job and you need to take your job seriously. I think if you blur the lines too much between work and family, the level of respect for the positions that they hold is also blurred when you blur that line. And I think when you remind someone, I'm your boss, you have to do what I tell you to do. That's your job. I think that's an important thing to to, to point out. And I thought, actually thought Igor Kokoshkov was good about making that uh, that distinction as well. And I, I don't I don't blame Igor for that. I just think you know going back to Earl Watson, this was a guy that I think blurted a little too much, and maybe uh, players didn't understand their place on the team as well as they could have. Uh, so I re- I really like that quote as well. I mean, with Earl Watson, I'm sure a guy like Tyler Ulis really thought that he was an important part of the core going forward. Uh, until he was cut by the team. And then we saw this sort of controversy. It was a minor controversy, uh, but the controversy had led to last summer when people were talking about Devin Booker is really upset about Tyler Ulis being cut because it's exactly as you said, it's exactly as Woj said, what have you done for me lately? Uh, it's just not fair to the players to pretend like you're part of some huge family and then one day get out of here, clean out your, <laughs> clean out your locker, you're gone. Right, right. Conditional love. Uh, a really good interview. So for those of you who haven't heard it, it's called The Woj Pod. You can find it on any podcast app. It's an ESPN podcast. Uh, he does interview uh, front office people, coaches, sometimes players or former players. It's a pretty good podcast overall. I, I find it hard to believe that people who listen to this pod haven't heard of Adrian <laughs> Wojnarowski's pod. <laughs> well, I think that he's not really known as that kind of uh, NBA personality. And to be honest, it kind of makes sense why. Although he does ask interesting questions, he's not much of a conversationalist uh, over time. I think he, it's it's a very interesting podcast, but I think a lot of times when he's interviewing people that are still in the NBA, he's reading off a list of questions that he provided to them ahead of time. You can just kind of tell. Right. It's not really much of a conversation. So, you know, maybe not everyone listens to it. Maybe you have heard of it, but maybe but, you don't listen to it. Yeah, but I think that works because it fits in with his brand as the guy. Yeah. You know Woj for breaking news on facts. He's facts. He's facts only. He breaks the news on Twitter and then you read the replies and someone is saying, Woj, please sleep with my wife. You know, that's (laughs) what you go to his Twitter page for. Uh, And, you know, it's just fair. It's uh, unbiased for the most part. He maybe has a a couple of biases. Yeah, he doesn't like Sarver and he doesn't like LeBron. LeBron. (laughs) Those two things I can tell you for sure. That's what I was hinting at. It's LeBron. But for the most part, you know, I think it's uh, it's a very good podcast. People should check it out. Yeah, I, I, I agree as well. But uh, then there was some more coaching news as well with Monty. And this was news about potential assistant coaches. In the last podcast, we talked about 
the introductory press conference, and we said that we didn't learn a lot from it. It was it had interesting moments, but overall, just a normal introductory press conference that doesn't really have any interesting information that comes out of it, other than personality. You start to understand their personality. And we said the next thing that we should know, the next thing that we can learn from is the assistant coaches, because then we can focus on, on what they're trying to do as a team and start to get a clearer picture of what James Jones and Monty Williams want to do with the Suns. And I think that these rumors really did that. So let's start with the Mark Stein tweet. Mark Stein, of of course, my theory is that he's a Jeff Bauer guy. And that's why we're getting more Phoenix news from Mark Stein than ever before. And he said that for Phoenix, Steve Blake, yes, that Steve Blake. That asshole. (laughs) Steve Blake is, is a potential assistant coach. Randy Ayers, who's a Nets scout, and Mark Bryant, who's a longtime Thunder coach that has coached for the OKC Thunder as long as uh, they've been the Thunder and even was part of a coaching staff that existed when they were the Seattle Supersonics. So a longtime coach that could potentially be leaving because of that relationship with Monty Williams, I would have imagined. And these are top contenders that Mark Stein said to land on Monty Williams's coaching staff. Um, not, I mean, there's not a lot to glean from this, but other than... These are like Steve Blake is a young guy, a recent NBA player coming on to be a potential assistant coach. We've had a few of those. There's no way to judge these guys. I imagine uh, they have a relationship going back. Steve Blake played in Portland. Hmm. So uh, Monty Williams was, was in Portland as an assistant coach. So I'm sure they're, they're, there's a relationship built there. And uh, I don't know much about Randy Ayers other than he's a scout. And that seems to be good news because this is this is a team that supposedly had none. <laughs> and then, of course, Mark Bryant is a longtime coach. And I think that would be a good thing to have someone who knows his way around the NBA right under uh, Monty Williams. And just another point about the Woj pod. He, uh, he talked a lot about how much he's learned to allow his assistant coaches to do more. That's what he plans to do. He tended to take things on too much. He said part of it was arrogance. This is Monty Williams. He said part of it was arrogance. He wanted to do everything himself. He didn't have faith that other people could help him out. So I think if he does take that type of leadership style into this NBA team, then these assistant coaches matter even more because they're going to have more autonomy. They're going to be uh, more important to the development of these guys. Uh, not a lot to learn from these three guys, but what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I think the only important thing to note is that they all have relationships with Monty. That's just makes sense. That's usually how it works. Um, Mark Bryant was with Monty and OKC. They were both assistant coaches at the same time. Steve Blake played for Monty in Portland. By the way, Steve Blake, if you count up the play, first of all, he's not actually an asshole as far as we know when I made that joke earlier. It's, it's I don't a meme. Know. Yeah, it's a meme. It's an internet meme. Everyone says that Steve Blake is an asshole, even though there's no evidence, uh, just in case anyone didn't know that. But Steve Blake, um, if you count up his playing stints and his coaching stints combined, has been in Portland for four stints. Is that a record? It might be. Has been with that organization separately four different times. But one of those stints, he played for Monty in uh, the 06-07 season in Portland. Uh, and Randy Ayers was an assistant under Monty in New Orleans. But the other thing, I, and now he's a Brooklyn scout. Uh, but the other thing, I just like the age diversity here. Obviously, there's yeah. not much that we can glean from uh, their actual coaching styles. But having a guy like Ayers, who's in his 60s, has been an assistant coach for a long time. Bryant is in his 50s, assistant coach for a long time. And then the contrast with a guy like Steve Blake, who was in the NBA as recently as a couple years ago uh, and is a, a much younger guy, maybe, who knows, more with it in terms of some of the modern <laughs> tendencies going around the league. Uh, I like that contrast. You were mentioning 
Mark Bryant with OKC forever, which means obviously mm-hmm. he also has a personal relationship with OKC legend, Kevin Durant, who is a free agent <laughs> um, and, and really must have gotten to know a lot of OKC players uh, who were very important for that franchise and played for a very long time. Russell Westbrook, uh, Nick Collison. I'm just trying to think of names who played for OKC for a long time now. Nick Collison, I don't <laughs> think he would really benefit Phoenix in any way. But Kevin Durant is the important connection there. Both Monty and uh, Mark Bryant technically have a relationship with Kevin Durant. I don't want to make anything else of that. Uh, but that's basically all we can take away, like you said. Uh, yeah. I, I like the diversity. Well, I, I do have one more thought. Well, I will say this before I move on to my thought. Nick Collison could be, it seems like the guy would that would be a good assistant coach, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised to hear that kind of rumor coming out over the next few weeks. But the other part that I found interesting is no former head coaches here. And I think that's actually a good thing because Joe Prunty was brought in to help Igor Kokoshkov. And a lot of the rumors after he left, after Igor Kokoshkov was fired, was that it felt like Joe Prunty was the coach was the head coach and I think there is a little bit of it can be dangerous to put uh, a guy that is a head coach into a position underneath who should be the head coach of the team Uh, players start to get confused uh, about who's in charge if that line is a little blurry and I think it's a good idea to just get some guys in here that fully support your system and are very clearly assistant coaches underneath you. So I don't think that that's such a bad thing here to just find assistant coaches. But we'll see who's actually hired out of this bunch. Of course, these are just rumors, um, although these types of rumors usually do pan out. One more name I just thought of, uh, Jamel McMillan, the son of Nate McMillan, who is an assistant coach under Igor and just got fired, worked with Monty in New Orleans. So I was yeah. wondering, I mean, he's already relocated to Phoenix. Uh, I think that would be another name that just makes sense if Monty wanted to keep him around. He's already familiar with the current roster. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I would, that wouldn't surprise me uh, either. I saw an interesting <laughs> I saw an interesting Instagram post from Jamel recently about leaders versus bosses. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, ah, oh, I wonder who that's about. Um, <laughs> anyway, there was one more, Ian Begley. Um, ESPN, or I think he's with ESPN still, but he uh, tweeted out, the Suns have also strongly pursued David Nurse to become their shooting coach, player development head, uh, slash player development head, to help build their young core of players. Nurse previ- previously worked as a shooting coach for Brooklyn and privately trains several NBA players with a focus on skills, work, and mental approach. This is Nick Nurse's nephew, which I hope to never have to say too quickly. That's a tongue twister. And Nick Nurse is, is somebody who's emerged as one of the better coaches in the NBA, in my opinion, after, after of course, the Bucks took a two-game lead. Well, yeah, because he plays a matchup zone. He plays the matchup zone, yeah. It's the key to, it's the, key to the playoffs. It's obvious. <laughs> but uh, not that that means anything. It really doesn't. Uh, but I think it's actually good that you come from a line of coaches. It's not always a bad thing. But I think it's important to... A long time ago, Sam, it's almost been a year since we started this podcast. A long time ago, we talked about what's important to develop a young team. And I brought up how Philadelphia, when they started the process, their entire team, front office staff, coaching staff, facilities, every single thing was built around player development. Because the idea was, if we're going to tank and only get young players, we have to have the best player development system in the NBA. And I talked about how important it was for the Suns to make real investments into player development if they were actually committing 
to a young team the way that they've said they are. And to, to my knowledge, they had not done that yet. And from what it seems like, this is an important uh, first step in that, finding a respected player development coach to head up the player development of your young players and surround him with guys that can help them achieve that goal of player development. I know nothing about David Nurse. I do know some players that he's worked with, and uh, it does seem like he's relatively well-respected, but it seems like this is a pretty interesting one, even, in my opinion, almost more interesting than the other rumors. Some of the players he's worked with, Jeremy Lin, Kelly Olenek, Demontis Sabonis, I believe, Aaron Baines, Bismack Biombo, and Kyle Singler. Not a lot of superstars there, but players who have significantly improved their jump shot, and he's a shooting coach. So it seems like the results are obvious there. And if you look at Brooklyn, this is a team that shoots the most threes in the NBA or or close to the most threes in the NBA and have some players that have increased their three-point percentage as well. So uh, it seems like a pretty good move, in my opinion, to get this guy, David Nurse. I really hope he joins. What do you think? There's a really good article, uh, written by Hoops Hype's Alex Kennedy, which is a profile on David Nurse from last summer. Uh, I would strongly encourage people to read that because it goes through his entire philosophy, how he started out as a shooting coach and then eventually transitioned into trying to figure out all aspects of player development. First of all, some fast facts about David Nurse. David Nurse owns the Guinness Book of World Record for most one-handed threes made in one minute. He made 20. And most one-handed threes made in five minutes, he made 81. And this is something that probably has no relevance to the NBA. But first of all, just the thought of him teaching Bismack Biombo to shoot one-handed threes as his new shooting form, I thought sounded really funny. Beyond that, he talks about uh, in that article just the importance of things like sleep and nutrition uh, and and just the mental aspect of the game and trying to figure that out for players. Uh, he talks about like Everyone has different sleep tendencies, but he first starts out by talking about what he does to fix his sleep, and he takes it very seriously. Here's what David Nurse did to figure out uh, the optimal sleep pattern for himself. He says, quote, I sleep with a thing called chili pad, which chills my bed to the optimal temperature that I want my body temperature to be at, 65 degrees. I make sure that I eat my carbohydrates later in the day, which helps me fall asleep and get a deeper sleep. I make sure my room is completely blacked out with no light and I don't have uh, or use any blue lights like from a phone or laptop in the two hours before I'm going to bed. These are things that work for me and now I've locked them in so I sleep great every night. Just things that maybe players aren't naturally going to think of by themselves. He tweaks those. Uh, Another really interesting thing from this article, he uses virtual reality as a way of trying to teach players uh, to do more intensive film studies. Another quote, he says, there's a company I use that's able to cut game film up and the players can watch it from their perspective and go through all the decisions they made. One of the toughest things to teach is making quick decisions in the moment. And you can only be on the court to practice this stuff for so long because it's taxing. But with VR, you can watch it for as long as you want. It's like you're back in the game, back in the practice, spotting the right decision and what you could have done better. Uh, I've been testing it and it's been great with the players who have used it. So just stuff like that sounds a little bit more innovative for mm-hmm. you know doing a more modern approach and really fixing the sun's player development yeah. i think it sounds really good you know who used vr 
Philadelphia, the 76ers. I think it's actually another team that's sort of pioneered that. Uh, so I, I hope that they're using that sort of as a model. I mean, Monty just came from there. He understands the importance of player development and how important it is to actually invest real money into that. And that includes finding a guy that maybe is sought after by other teams and getting him on, on board with you and your young core. So I really hope that that's something that happens. Um, but before our next episode, Sam, I think we have to see how many one-handed three-pointers we can make in a minute. Dude, uh, there's – oh, now I forget who it was. There's a journalist. Do you remember who it was? Some journalist on Twitter today was asking all of the journalists who are uh, covering the NBA Finals to get together for a basketball game. I think it would be really funny if we got all the Suns podcasters to do a pickup <laughs> game one of these days. I'd have to get out to Phoenix, but that that would be fucking amazing. And we'd film we, it. Maybe we should do it before yeah, the season get, starts. We get Nate Duncan to uh, do live commentary with a stream. <laughs> no, we want people to watch. <laughs> <laughs> There's one more thing that I want to make sure you don't forget before we go. Okay. A second Suns player got arrested this week. Oh, yes. I did forget that, actually. Rashawn Holmes with, with a hot and smoldering joint. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we just all admit, like, I hope none of you out there really care about this. Like, I've seen the take that some people want Holmes gone for money purposes. Like, they simply think he's not worth the money, which I also no. think is wrong. No. I also think that's wrong. Yeah. But but I what I haven't seen and what I hope no one thinks is that like, you know, look at this delinquent with his joint. We need to get him off the team to reboot our culture. They're all doing it. Yeah. Everyone in the league is doing it. D'Angelo Russell just got caught. I guarantee you Devin Booker is doing it as well. Whether Monty Williams likes it or not. It's legal in like 10 states. Yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't they do it? I just I don't. I, one thing I could care about is if he was driving, but none of the reports said he was driving. He was in a car, uh, which is pretty stupid. <laughs> I mean, uh, just to say that, I mean, do it at home and, you know, take an Uber. But beyond that, it's hard for me to even care about this because, like you said, it just it's just, just prevalent in NBA culture. These guys are constantly smoking. Matt Barnes was just on uh, the Pardon My Take podcast last week, and he talked about uh, smoking before games or before practices. He would smoke before he took a nap and then go to games and play in games, and he said some of his best games were when he was high. It's I just don't believe that, of, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> some of his best games were still not that great, so it is Matt Barnes. Um, maybe he would have been a lot better if he didn't do that. But, I mean, the point is, it's prevalent. It just exists. It's something that happens within NBA culture, and it's hard to find any reason to care about that. But for those of you who think that he's not worth the money, I just want to remind you that his cap hold is about a million and a half. That means we can sign him beyond that uh, after we've signed everyone else and go above the cap to keep him without a huge effect on, of course, the only person it really does affect is Robert Sarver. So it's just... It's not really it, it doesn't he's a, one of the best assets we have as far as re-signing because of how little his cap hold is. It's not really it doesn't make sense to to get rid of him for that reason. If you have another backup center lined up that you're signing, then yeah, okay, then or maybe you believe in Dragon Bender that strongly. No. <laughs> no. I lo- look, we we got all aboard the Dragon hype train at the end of last season. Bender post All-Star break averaged 6 points five rebounds, and less than a block per game on 55% true shooting in 24 minutes. Yikes. He's just, it's not, no, that's not even that bad, but he's not ready to fill the role. Rashawn Holmes 
is one of the best centers we've had in the past six years. I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that outside of DeAndre Ayton, who's obviously the best center we've had since Marcin Gortat left, that the season Rashawn Holmes just had is probably better than any season Miles Plumley had, any season Alex Len had, certainly. Maybe even any season. I don't think Tyson Chandler. I, I feel like I find a way to shoehorn uh, to a VORP statistic at you guys every episode, and I don't mean to do that. But Rashawn Holmes was <laughs> fourth on the roster, maybe even third on the roster in VORP this year with a VORP of uh, a positive 1.0. And I don't think Tyson ever came close to touching that in his time with Phoenix. You know what? Since this is already a jumbo episode, which makes sense because I'm leaving why don't you just quickly explain what VORP is? <laughs> I feel like you do bring it up all the time. <laughs> it's, so it stands, yeah, I, and that's that's my fault. I don't mean to parade it around as some sort it's of It's a good stat. I don't mean to parade it around as some sort of all-encompassing stat. It's not like, like if you're a baseball fan, again, wins above replacement is the thing, war. VORP is value over replacement player. It essentially tries to do the same thing. It takes uh, a different advanced stat, which is BPM, box plus minus, uh, and is a multiplier of that. So it's a it's a multiplier BPM uh, on a per minute basis. So how many minutes you play uh, increases or decreases your VORP. Like for instance, Josh Jackson has a really, really bad VORP. That's in part because he played so many minutes. Had Josh Jackson been benched the entire season, he would have been closer to a, uh, a 0. 0.0 rather than so far in the negatives. Uh, and so that, that impacts Rashawn Holmes as well. Um, but in some ways, it's more impressive that Rashawn Holmes has such a good VORP despite being a backup for the Suns. Uh, and yeah, just as far as advanced stats go, it it tries to fully capture the entire picture uh, of what each player is really adding above what the the typical replacement player would be for a team. It's definitely not perfect. Uh, although I, I reckon that like if we just took Maybe I'll do this one day just like as a really quick side project. I think if you just took uh, every roster's cumulative warp of all the players and then also looked at all of the wins uh, by each team, you'd, you'd find a really strong correlation there. So I, I think it is a pretty good stat overall. Yeah, I agree. And I think now you have to bring up a warp stat every episode. <laughs> I think it's going to be a requirement. Well, so. Look, it's one of those things that people like naturally bring up as like, you know, these nerds who, who quote warp. It's not even. I don't mean to be like that. You know, I, I admit that like one player can have a much worse VORP than another player and still be better um, because the stat is not perfect. But I think in the case of Rashawn Holmes, one of the things that VORP really recognizes is things like rebounding and high true shooting percentage, uh, a.k.a. like being a rim runner like Rashawn Holmes with just super, super efficient shooting percentages. And for a center, he was pretty good from the free throw line as well. Uh, he's really going to be rewarded an advanced stat like VORP for those reasons. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just don't, my bottom line point is I just don't think the Suns can find someone to give you even half of what Rashawn Holmes gave us this season for a minimum contract. There yeah. are some teams that are capable of doing that. Like the Warriors have a great bargain deal with a guy like Kevon Looney right now who had a really good season, a better season than Rashawn Holmes, in fact. Uh, but that's because they're the Warriors. No one's coming here to ring chase on a one and a half million year deal that would be better than Holmes. I agree. Free Rashawn. Free Rashawn. 
<laughs> Leave him alone. Uh, shout out to him because that's an unfortunate scenario. And I feel more than anything, I feel bad for him for getting in trouble when he's a free agent because this is the type of thing that uh, teams can use as leverage and offer him less money than maybe he would deserve without it happening. But there are there are a lot of teams with cap space this year, so he's likely going to get paid regardless. But that's all we got. You have anything else, Sam? No, that's about it. It's a little bit of a longer episode than usual, although we've gone pretty long before in the past, but this is just because uh, you may not be hearing from us next week again. Uh, We'll see. Yep, probably not. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Of course, subscribe, rate, review. We love to see those reviews, of course. We love to see those high ratings. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at the Timeline Pod. We'll be back in a few weeks, unless something crazy happens. Can I see your license, sir? What? Your license. Where's your license? It's on the bumper, man, back there, man. No, I mean your driver's license. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I got my driver's license, man. (laughs) That just sounded so real funny, man. Your mama. (laughs) Sir, what is your name? What? What? What's your name? Isn't it on there on the license, man? Yeah, that's it, Pedro de Pacas, man. That's my name. Uh, <laughs> just wait here a minute, huh? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.